0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Grace Hansen, and I'm a senior at Westlake High School. It's November 18th, and you're with a virtual youth forum. Today, we are discussing the modern day shift into a digital working, learning, and living environment, and how that radical shift changes the way the youth experience the world around them. Many of today's children and teens got their support services through physically going to school. Some of these services include exercise, help with bullies, and learning important social skills. Today, children and teens are spending much more time online than ever before. During this forum, we ask how learning through an online environment impacts students' ability to receive their support services and what can be done to make sure the needs of students are met. Joining us today to discuss these issues and more are Rebecca Bigar, the Upper School Counselor at Halfway Brown School, Dr. Marie Marcia Muri, a clinical psychologist at the Metro Health System, Director of Behavioral Health in the Foster Care Program, and the Associate Director of the Pediatric Psychology Residency and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and Dr. Ashley E. Poplar, a school psychologist at Hawkins School. As in every City Club Forum and participate with your questions, text them to 300-541-5794. That's 300-541-5794. You can also tweet them at Youth City at City Club Youth. We'll try to work them in. Here to guide our conversation is City Club Youth Forum Council, Vice President and Hawkins School Senior Allie Dunelbach. Ali, I turn the forum over to you.
1: Thanks Grace and what a timely topic to be examining today given the impact of the coronavirus on our lives and communication patterns. I think it will be helpful to start by establishing a baseline for how youth were predominantly communicating and forming relationships before the pandemic. So prior to the pandemic, how would you describe what you perceive to be the communication and relationship building habits of adolescents and youth? Um, Dr. Murray, if you'd like to start us off
2: Sure. Um. So prior to the pandemic, uh, hard to remember that time, right? But um, prior to the pandemic, it was a much more, you know, definitely much more balanced in how you formed a relationships and would communicate with each other. So it was still, I think, pretty heavy with um social media, so the Snapchat and, and things like that. Um. So social media was still pretty heavy, but I think the way the relationships were started, um, was a lot more in person. Um, And then maybe like the social media would be maintained. So if you would meet someone, you know, in person, then you would, you know, share social media and then continue the communication that way. Um, But still a lot, but not necessarily where the relationships started.
3: I would
4: agree that I think that school is a central place where students would build relationships, whether that's through, you know, sitting next to someone in class or being on the same sports team or joining the same club or extracurricular activities. So I think having that initial interaction with someone in person I think is really critical in building friendships. And then of course you know, as Dr. Murray said, social media plays a big role and also text messaging. You know, for a lot of my students, I always hear that a main kind of source of way that they communicate with their friends when they're not in school is through, you know, group text or individual text or direct messaging through social media apps.
3: And I think, too, a lot of the nonverbals, you know, the knowing look at one another when somebody um, walks in that you hadn't seen in a little while or that an inside joke pops up. Um, that would happen. Another piece is just the the social dynamics of different groups in the same space, sharing the same space, talking to people that they may not talk to um, via social uh, media on a regular basis, but they'd see each other in the hall and acknowledge one another's presence.
1: Yeah, all key parts of communication before the pandemic. But let's transition to talking about communication among youth and adolescents in the pandemic age, which has in many ways affected how we're able to form relationships. So one thing that we definitely see is that social distancing, virtual school and other such guidelines have made it difficult to retain social contact. So how have you seen this physical distance play out in the lives of youth? And are certain personality types more equipped to adapt to this virtual world than others?
4: So what I've seen as a big challenge for my students is that, you know, previously pre-pandemic, there was a lot of downtime during the day, right? Whether they had a free period or lunchtime. And now with the pandemic, when we do have schools, on, when we do have students on campus, I do feel like things are so structured. And that's obviously to keep students safe with social dis- or physical distancing. And so from what I hear from a lot of students is that kind of unstructured, casual um, like on the fly interactions, that's more limited. So the way that they are socializing now is obviously using kind of technology, but also even scheduling things saying like, okay, this Friday night, let's do Netflix party and watch this movie or let's all bake cookies this Friday night. So I've been really trying to encourage my students to really create some of those things that you can look forward to. Like, I think it's really important to be communicating over text messages and that's fine, but sometimes even scheduling events like, you know what? This Friday, let's all cook a recipe together or let's all bake cookies together. I think that not only is that great kind of um, intentional social interaction, even if you are using technology through Zoom or through, you know, FaceTime, but I think that having that be even scheduled is something that students can even look forward to during the week. Because again, I think that you know what I hear from a lot of students is it feels like groundhog day. Like every day you wake up and there's still a pandemic, you still don't get to see your friends in person, it's you know academic. So what I've been really trying to encourage students is to schedule things, things that you can look forward to, even if it is going to be over you know Zoom or using um, it virtual, trying to be creative and, and make it fun.
3: We've been seeing um, students and advisory playing Among Us as their whole advisory team class. So you know you can't sit next to each other and like have these like smaller class discussions, but you can all participate in a game together. Um, and that seems to be really popular. Um, you had asked about personality types that seem to really struggle. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say a specific personality type, but I have noticed that new students and freshmen are really struggling because they're not able to navigate that normal social hierarchy and try to find and make new friends. Um, and it's really difficult to read those social cues when half of your face is missing.
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot. It's so many different things that have changed since um, with this pandemic, um, you know, a lot of kids in Cleveland are not going to school at all. like they haven't they just haven't had any in-person contact. And I know that when the pandemic first started, a lot of um youth were reporting, you know, just feeling first, maybe bored, then um some isolation, you know, some sad, some down. Um, a lot of stress with the transition to telehealth, you know, schools really quickly went to telehealth from, you know, it felt that way, right? And so for the kids, the schools were learning, but the kids were like trying to figure it out, navigate that too. They were really, really stressed. Um, so a lot of negative things, I think at first, like, you know the isolations, maybe sadder down, more stress, like, you know, which everyone was feeling. I think now as time has gone on, kind of hopefully more people have gotten kind of like, In the swing of things, and it's becoming more normal, and we're kind of creating our own new normal. And you know, I think kids are definitely doing that. I've um, talked to youth who've done the things that that other people have spoken of. You know, having scheduling things, doing things at the same time. um, You know, even distancing but still being able to spend time together like at the park or you know just someone's backyard or you know just trying to really figure out whatever can work for them um but you definitely at first i think it was a big shift and i hope i'm hoping that the youth have gotten more adjusted and or have kind of helped started that transition to to the new normal and are getting adjusted
1: Yeah, all great points. So as we do begin and continue to make that transition to feeling comfortable in this increasingly virtual environment, what are some healthy mindsets to have when communicating virtually and attempting to maintain
3: relationships through virtual means? I'm going to put out the safety piece. I work with an organization that uh, combats human trafficking. And so one piece that I'm always concerned about is when students start to connect with individuals that they don't know and that haven't been at least filtered through people that they do know and jump right into the very in-depth relationships, sharing a lot of personal details because they they want that connection with others. Um, so for me, that's one piece that's always in the front of my mind is if you're going to be connecting with others through um, online means, having had that connection or at least know somebody that has a connection with that individual um, to filter them through first.
4: I think for some of my students, I hear them say, well, like what if I reach out to that person and they you know, don't respond or they don't want to hang out, like kind of maybe some of that social anxiety, I try to help them with the mindset around that common humanity piece. You know, we're all living in this pandemic. We're all trying to navigate how to foster kind of deeper friendships and relationships through this very, very weird time. So everyone's kind of in, we're all in different boats in the same storm, right? And so I try to encourage my students around that idea of common humanity, of the idea of like, even though right now you might feel like you're the only one that Maybe it might be struggling or might feel lonely or um, things might be hard, remembering that a lot of people are in the same situation as you. And so that social connection, I think, is a really good buffer to that that pandemic stress.
2: I agree. And I think another thing that I think is also important and connected is about how to. As much as you can try to make like meaningful connections and maintain the connections that you already have. And sometimes that social anxiety does get in the way or, oh, they didn't text back fast enough or, oh, they didn't want to FaceTime or whatever. You know, but um, really putting yourself out there, just trying to make those new connections and trying to um, when I say make connections, I'm talking about people, you know, because we want to also the safety is really important. I'm thinking about people that you probably already do know and. Um, and just trying to grow those, those those relationships and those friendships.
4: And I think using things that the school organizes, whether it's clubs, whether it's extracurriculars, even if it's virtual as ways to make new connections or deepen those friendships. So if you're really interested in gaming, you know, I know that a lot of schools now have like a gaming club. So if that's something that you're interested in, that's a great opportunity for, for you to put yourself out there, you're in this club, you know, maybe you have virtual meetups with, you know, maybe a teacher facilitates it or maybe not. But again, that's like an opportunity for you to even kind of deepen those friendships, maybe make new friendships. But again, with people that, you know, you you know, you go to the same school, different pieces like that. So, again, just like Dr. Poklar was saying, making sure that, you know, you're being safe and you're not connecting with you know strangers that you don't know on the Internet.
1: Yeah. So this year has not only um led to a pandemic, but also there have been a culmination of a number of other really um, influential and important events in uh, youth lives this year, um, from pandemic updates to election-related events. Um, social media has impacted the way that youth obtain their information, especially given that we're already spending a lot of time online. And in many ways, it's become a replacement to reading or watching the news. So, what are the psychological and personal effects of receiving information from social media platforms?
2: That's a really great question, I think um, you you kind of hinted at it, but. It- 2020 has been a really rough year and, you know, some people refer to it as a pandemic within a pandemic and specifically not just talking about COVID, also talking about racism in, here in America. That's really a ongoing issue. And I think um, when you think about the things that we've all seen over social media, um, it it it's traumatic. And um, I think as youth, you have to be careful what you're looking at protect yourselves. Um, so just because someone sends you a video doesn't mean you have to watch it all or look at it or and take that in or watch it over and over because those things can be traumatizing and have a negative impact um, on your mental health, on your physical health, um, on you, you all around. And so I think that it's really important to you. You know, typically I would say parents need to do this, but you as the youth or older can, if you have a social media, I would encourage you to kind of be responsible and protect yourself and not just be aware of what you're taking in. Um, you know, some adults do that even with the news. Like you can't watch too much of the news. It's really negative, you know. And so if you, you have to be careful of what you're what you're taking in, what you're seeing, because that kind of has a big impact on you and how you feel.
4: Yeah, I would say really checking in with yourself and noticing how does it feel when you're sitting there and scrolling for a while and you're reading. Maybe it's the news or maybe you're looking just at your feed. Like, are you noticing that after you feel drained, are you noticing that you feel more full and connected? Like, what are you noticing about yourself? So I always say that, you know, social media is an amazing tool. It's a great way to stay connected. But if you find yourself endlessly scrolling and at the end, you feel really low or you feel really down or you're feeling depressed. Maybe you need to set more stricter boundaries for yourself. Maybe you say, okay, I'm going to set that, you know, the screen time, you know, limitation on my phone around, I'm only going to go on Instagram for, you know, Thirty minutes, or you know, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but I think again, as Dr. Murray said, really kind of checking in with how does it make you feel, and then again, there's so much information on social media too when it comes to news. So making sure you're fact checking that too. So if you read something and you think, "Gosh, this is really interesting," you know, maybe finding some additional sources and um, you know, talking to different people about what you heard and making sure that what you are hearing is factual, because there is a lot of misinformation out there as well.
3: And I strongly recommend not going through the social media feeds while you're in class um, and i know that's hard because it's right there i have like 12 tabs open right now as i talk um, but being able to set the boundaries for when you're using the social media and making sure that you're fitting time in that's not tied to that so again whether it's time with friends via an online platform or just time to reconnect with yourself um, and you can curate your feeds to be more positive. It takes a little bit more work and a little bit more looking, but um, you can purposely pick out news feeds that make you feel better about the world or about yourself. Um, so I strongly encourage making sure that you're looking for those positive ones as well. And as a school, um, I bit the bullet and got a Instagram account so that I could put information out during this time I mean, I think that's a space for parents and schools to have some say and some power in this as well.
2: I was I just want to highlight what Dr. Pogler already said, but you can control what social media you're taking in. So you might need to unfollow some people if someone's always negative, always dramatic, always Stirring up the pot, you know, you might need to shift that and, and go away from certain things. And I think I'm saying that, but we all know people who are like that on social media. Um, don't follow them, unfollow them, mute them. It's all kind of ways that you can um, can adjust, right? And they don't even have to know, you know. Um, but you have you it, you have your you have the power, and I want you to take that power and definitely use it. And
3: I always encourage kids, if, if it's hard for you to have that conversation with your friends that, you know, oh, I didn't see that because I don't, I'm don't i not on social media or I don't want to be. And that can sometimes be an awkward conversation. Blame it, on, blame it on your parents. Blame it on your guardians. My mom won't let me have my phone after eight o'clock. When in reality, maybe you really don't want your phone after eight o'clock. But that's a hard conversation to have.
1: Yeah, great points. So, students are having to spend more time on screens due to virtual school, um, trying to stay in connection as much as possible. So how do you recommend that students avoid screen burnout when they use all of these digital platforms all day?
4: So I would say, you know, a huge piece is you're on screen all day, right? Doing Zoom classes, whatever that looks like for your school. But you do have breaks in between your classes. And when you were back in school, you would get up and you would move from class to class. And it's it's kind of bizarre when you're at home all day, you could be sitting in front of your computer for hours and not realize that, wow, I haven't gotten up, gotten up to get a drink of water or use the bathroom. So I encourage students that between those classes, get up, walk around your house, go get a snack, get a drink of water. If you have, you know, a more extended break, go for a walk, sit outside, make sure that those breaks that you're taking away from the screen are not just a break to looking at your phone screen, right? So making sure that they're breaks where you can truly recharge um, and, and take care of yourself so that you don't feel completely burnt out by the screen.
2: And also after school, as much as you can, um, doing things that are active. So as much as you can be active, going for walks, going, you know, it's not too many places we can go and be safe, but um, socially distance activities, getting out of the house as much as you can. Like she said, even if it's just sitting outside, not being stagnant, even if it's, even if it is at home, but maybe doing like an exercise video or a workout video or something, you just have to really move around because you're not moving around nearly as much as you're used to you know so many things have been canceled that you're not moving around and so it's really important that you can do that that's not just important for your physical health but also for your mental health during this really difficult time so as much as you can find and figure out ways to be active and if you can combine um being active with connecting with your friends that's even better because you're you know two birds one stone so
3: I'm a big fan of making a real meal, so getting up, leaving the computer screen, and making a meal that requires multiple snap steps, not just grabbing a couple snacks to go sit back down again um, so it gets you away from that screen and gets you healthy food, um, but definitely exactly what you've been hearing from the other panelists, getting your body moving. <laughs>
1: Um so if students are struggling and they continue to feel isolated or they're struggling to maintain their relationships during this time, what are some good resources available to them that they can use to try to um find some help navigating the situation?
2: So if you find yourself having like too much issues getting moving, isolating yourself, feeling sad or down, you know, um it's a lot of negative things about this pandemic, but one positive thing is that it's a lot easier to get services, um, particularly like counseling therapy, having someone to talk to. If you were able to talk to your parents about that, they could pot- likely get you set up with someone virtually where they don't have to bring you anywhere, they don't have to pay for parking, it's not a lot of hoopla. It's all over over video. Um, so in that way, kind of, it's easier to access. It's easier to get the help that you need if you're in that situation. And depending
4: on what school you're 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 at, you know there might be a school social worker, a school counselor, a school psychologist. You know you can always reach out to them for support. We're always here to support you. But also maybe if you don't know how to access that person, just reaching out to some trusted adult in your life, whether it's a parent, whether it's a teacher you get along with really well, whether it's a coach, um, anyone who you feel like is an adult that can help you get the support that you need and opening up to that person um, and being honest with where you're at, I think is, is going to be really helpful.
3: And I want to acknowledge that it's kind of weird to do that Mm -hmm. um, with a stranger on a, on a screen. Um, But know that those of us who are sitting on the other side recognize how weird it is and don't expect you to jump into a conversation in the same way that you might in person. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, now that we've sort of hashed out what it's like to live and be living in the pandemic era right now, I want to transition to talking about the legacy of this pandemic era communication. So my first question is, do you think the pandemic has caused permanent changes in the way you use social media or other forms of digital communication? Or do you expect most of these changes to revert once physical
3: interaction rebounds? That's a great question. On my end, um, I'm definitely using it more for uh, professional related things for pushing out um, different resources and different information to both the students and my larger network that I never would have done otherwise. And I don't see that changing. I've done a lot more whole school related um, programming pieces that never would have happened without this, but probably I won't ever stop doing because they've been so beneficial um, and focused on everyone and not just the few students who showed up in my office.
4: I think for for teens and students, they're going to continue to use social media and technology to connect. But I also think there is certainly a hunger for being back in person and having that in-person connection. When I hear students tell me that they did get to see their good friend over the weekend and maybe they went and got Dunkin' Donuts and sat outside at the park, they say to me, like, that felt so much more meaningful or deeper than just texting a friend. And so I do think it's a balance of, you know, there are so many benefits to technology, but I think that that in-person piece I do think is really valuable. So, it wouldn't surprise me if students continue to use social media and technology to to foster relationships, but again, really had a lot of gratitude for that in-person connection because now they realize how meaningful that might be to them.
2: Yeah, I agree. I kind of I think that it'll go back to how it was before the pandemic for teens because teens always communicated a lot on social media. It's not like they didn't do it much and now they're doing it a lot. It's like, they're doing a lot and now they have to do it for school more. (laughs) But as far as the social media piece, it's still um, a lot. And I think will continue to be a lot. But I do agree that if we think about what hopefully, hopeful, I'm hopeful that will be a permanent change will be the gratitude that we'll have once we're able to be back together in person maybe four feet apart. I don't know. (laughs) If that ever happens again. Um, yeah. So I definitely think the gratitude I think will be, will be different.
3: I think too the access to support, um, now needing to access support through online methods or through teletherapy, um, knowing that you can still do school, even if you're, um, home with mono for weeks at a time, um, I think that that will change for students to their ability to seek support and to have multiple different avenues to do that. And I
4: do hope that telehealth continues to be a, a thing and that it's something that m- mental health um, and you know, doctors continue to value because I do think there's a level of access with that that I think has been really a bright spot of the pandemic. I know there's not too many bright spots or silver linings, but I do think that access piece has been really helpful and I hope that
2: continues. I anticipate it will for sure. That's what we've been told that it might not go back, you know, it might not be as high as it is now, but it will definitely continue to be available. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so as we kind of hinted at earlier, it's been pretty hard to maintain um, some like close relationships, especially for students that are um, less able to form that structured social time together. So what are some strategies for rekindling relationships that individuals might have lost throughout this prolonged virtual
2: environment? That's a great question. I do want to hint at, like, um, I know that this is my, maybe, I don't know, the youth who are listening, maybe they can chime in, but it's been my impression that a lot of um, kids are doing a lot more like group chats. And um, I just kind of like, want to talk about that a little bit because whenever people get into groups, um, the the influence of groups can be positive or negative, and sometimes with teens, it kind of can go in the negative direction. It can, you know, influence people to maybe say things they might typically not say, or consider things they typically wouldn't say. You know, as psychologists, we know the impact of groups can be really, really high. And so, I think that I think teens, I, well, whoever youth, I just want y'all to kind of be aware of that when you're in these groups of not letting it get you out of who you are as a person, because they, they tend to do that um and so just being careful that not losing who you are to try to fit in in this group um i think is really is important for you guys to think about and also i think that um with with getting these connections groups are okay but you know maybe smaller groups or more one-on-one would be a more meaningful way to foster connection so maybe if i'm in a group with somebody and i'm like i haven't talked to them in a while maybe i'll start a side text or a side message with them and kind of talk talk to them one-on-one to kind of build that relationship and um you know solidify that connection
3: along with what dr, dr. murray was saying um something that i often ask teens to consider is who makes you feel good to be around or to communicate with and who are you able to be your authentic, genuine self with? Who are you able to just show up and be whoever you are in that moment without having to um, change or adjust to meet that person's expectations? Those are the people that you should be reaching out to one-on-one the people that make you feel good and allow you to be yourself.
4: Yeah, I agree that people that you can be authentic and that build you up, that when you finish hanging out with them, you feel positive. You feel like you're the best version of yourself when you're around them. I agree with that. And you're not feeling like you have to change yourself to be around them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's it's super important to talk about the impact of group communication versus individual communication. Um. The next question I wanna ask is, will this pandemic and lack lack of face-to-face communication possibly affect or hurt long-term development in adolescents and teenagers who are just sort of trying to maybe build some of their first strong social connections in this digital environment?
3: That's a really great question and it's something that um, they're doing some research around actually is this idea that Um, As this is ongoing, it may cause developmental delays for a lot of individuals because you're not getting the opportunity to model and to practice the different social skills aspects in the same way that you would otherwise. Not to say that people aren't going to be able to bounce back and it'll be fine, but um, it is going to be different. Um, You won't see the same level of social uh, awareness and interaction in, say, a sophomore as you would have had their entire freshman year been what it normally is.
4: Well, and I think that you if you're primarily learning at home, being back in the school setting, like when you do go back might feel overwhelming. The idea of suddenly being in a classroom with 25 people suddenly might be like, wow, this is this is almost feels overstimulating for me. So, again, I think that um, we just have to really be conscious of those pieces. And, you know, when you have to make that transition back, really being compassionate to yourself and kind to yourself and saying, this is a transition for me. Transitions in general can always be challenging. So just being aware of that and how you're taking care of yourself when maybe again, you do transition back to being at school all the time and how that feels. It might feel really good or it might feel really kind of uncomfortable to you at first. And so just being aware of that and how you can take care of yourself and again, how you can seek support.
2: So I think that, um, you know, kids are resilient, right? And so for people watching, kids watching, you know, resilient means, it just means you can kind of go through a lot and still kind of come out on top. And so I think that some of these things we're experiencing are bumps and everyone's kind of navigating together. But I definitely think that um, hopefully, I would hopefully, you know, wouldn't have any long term, you know, impact. I do think that whenever I think about um, people who have like, that social anxiety, like that we speak spoke of, um, it'll be a little bit more difficult once things go back to to normal because, kind of like right when now right now what people are doing is we're avoiding each other, and the more you kind of do something if you're anxious the more you want to keep doing it, and it, the harder it is when you have to go back. And so um, for kids that have that social anxiety piece, it'll definitely be um, a bit more of an adjustment for them, um, after, especially after being such a long time apart. But I think, you know, these are all things that everyone's kind of going through. And so hopefully, um, you know, we can all work together to overcome them together.
3: Okay, so
1: now I'm gonna be turning it over to Christina for our uh, mid-forum announcement.
5: Okay, thank you, Allie. Good afternoon, my name is Christina Benson and I'm a sophomore at Hathaway Brown School as well as a member of the Youth Forum Council. Today's Youth Forum features a discussion about the increased use of technology and digital communication during COVID-19 and how it is affecting the mental health of young people. Today's panel features Rebecca Bigger, the upper school counselor at Hathaway Brown School, Dr. Marshina Murray, clinical psychologist at the Metro Health System, director of behavioral health for the foster care program, associate director of pediatric psychology residency, and the assistant professor of psychiatric for the Psychiatry for the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and Dr. Ashley E. Polklar, School Psychologist at Hawkins School. Our moderator today at the Youth Forum Council is is Youth Forum Council Vice President in Hawkins School Senior, Allie Deddleback. If you have any questions for any of our panelists, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330 541 5794. You can also tweet them at City Club Youth. We'll try to work them in. May we please
1: have the first question? So, the first audience question we have for today is How are school psychologists, counselors, and other mental health support specialists adjusting to working in this
3: new normal? I think like everybody, first part is learning to navigate all of the technology, Um, learning which parts of my house Zoom works best in and which parts don't and kicking my kids off when I need to have a meeting. Um, But the other I alluded to a little bit is um, definitely seeing more school wide programming um, because it's not as easy to get a student into um, a Zoom meeting as it is for them to show up in my office whenever there's an immediate crisis. So um, putting things out there on, on the regular to all students with the hope that they're reading it and getting some helpful resources and that if a crisis or a need does arise, I'm not as scary or as unknown.
4: So one thing that I did this year with our ninth graders is I, I did a check-in in the first couple of weeks of school with every single one of our ninth graders, which was totally bonkers for my schedule. Um, but it was great. It was doing that like 10 minute check-in with every ninth grader was a great way to establish that relationship with them. Because I do think particularly for ninth graders coming into high school, that transition is already really challenging enough, but to do that in a pandemic and to do it while learning how to learn either remote or hybrid model, all these different pieces, I think can be hard. So I think that that was a great way to kick off the year. Um, and then since then, I think really just, um, Trying to be accessible to students whether they want to meet in person in a a physically distant way or over zoom um, offering different workshops different ways for them to you know practice skills and strategies around self-care and taking care of themselves and addressing their mental health needs Um, and again just putting information out to them on how they can support themselves like ashley said so i would say
2: mental health supports People, we are adjusting the same as everyone else, and we're also helping our patients adjust. So helping um, students adjust, and I think um, one of the ways I've been adjusting is just by really being honest about it, right? I think um, you know kids can appreciate our honesty. Like I don't know what's going on is while over here, or you know, you know, especially you know March, April there's a lot going on, and, and you know. So just really being honest and transparent in some ways because everyone is experiencing kind of the same thing. We might not feel the same way about it, but we're all kind of going through this together. And I think just being honest, like it's an adjustment for us and then checking in with students about how they're adjusting as well.
3: I think
4: another piece that has been helpful at our school is I've been really trying to support our teachers around creating space in the classroom to do emotional check ins with students so to say like, how's everyone feeling today, give me a scale of one to 10. And I think that I've heard a lot of feedback from students like, wow, it's nice to have the first couple minutes of class just to even like check in with myself and realize where I'm at. And so um, really encouraging, not just me as a professional and supporting students with those mental health and emotional pieces, but also encouraging our teachers to really like double down on just the social emotional piece, because we know that this is such a hard time for for adolescents and teens. It's hard for all of us, but I imagine if it's hard for me as an adult, I can only imagine how hard it is for a teen and an adolescent, so.
1: Yeah, and thank you all for just um, providing some really, really helpful resources during this time that's been really difficult for youth. The next question from our audience is, many parents have made the decision to keep their kids home entirely during the pandemic. How do these kids get the help they need, especially less fortunate students?
2: So I'm not sure if this question um, is referring to like, when they say the help they need, um, like, social support, talking to people. I'm guessing maybe that's what the um, person who wrote the question means. Um, So again, like we kind of touched on, I think that just because they're not going to school, we'll really still finding ways to make those connections as much as possible, right? So even if it's asking your parents if they'll be okay with you having a friend come over and sit in the backyard eight feet apart outside or something, you know? So I think um, really, you know, trying to figure out new ways to, to connect. Um. And I've heard some
4: really creative ways on, you know, piggybacking on what Dr. Murray said, like I had some students say that, you know, they go to Swenson's, which is, you know, this drive-in kind of burger place on Cedar and they like parked two cars apart. So they're not in the same car, but they like roll down their windows and they eat their food while they're like sitting in the car. Or, um, you know, this summer they went to like drive-in movies. or like, we had never been to a drive-in movie before, but they started, you know, so I think just being creative about the ways that you are seeing each other in person, even if you have to be physically distant. Um, and as Dr. Murray said, just trying to figure out ways to, to foster that connection. Again, I can only speak to my school, but I know at my school we've been trying to offer like Zoom lunches for the kids that are fully remote so that they have a space that they can come and hang out and talk and see their peers and stuff, so.
3: And, and I don't know if the less fortunate piece was tied to financial um, needs or students who just can't access the, the online get-togethers in the same way, um, in those cases, if students can feel comfortable or if children can feel comfortable enough to tell a family member or to tell a trusted adult, um, at least in our setting, that trusted adult then shares the information with individuals who can either get them a hotspot to help them make those connections or who can connect them with outside resources to help support them as well.
1: Yeah, so we have a question that came in, especially for Dr. Murray, and the question is, have you noticed any major changes in how kids are being diagnosed with mental disor- mental health disorders during the pandemic? Is it more or less? And as a side note, are there any studies being conducted about the long lasting changes with everything going on?
2: So I'll start with the last question actually. I'm pretty sure there are studies going on that are looking at the lasting changes about everything going on, but we won't know the results. Those studies would still be ongoing right now. And so we won't know until closer to the end if if that, if that, if that exists. Um, So as far as how kids are getting diagnosed with disorders. um, So I feel like a lot more people are reaching out for therapy. Let me start there because of the stress of everything that's happening. A lot more people are comfortable saying I'm stressed. I need help. I can't manage this on my own. I want someone, I want to talk to a professional. So I think a lot more people are reaching out and accessing mental health services, which is really a good thing. Um, As far as diagnosis, though, I think that um, it just, I don't think there's more people being diagnosed with significant mental illness so what I mean by that is so if a person has mental illness it's not just like oh the pandemic happened and I'm down that wouldn't necessarily really mean they like have depression or anxiety and we that's something that we would consider an adjustment disorder which is kind of like low-grade um so as far as like this the real mental disorders we don't really see a lot more of it but maybe if a person does have a mental disorder already and maybe they were doing okay before the pandemic, the pandemic might cause them to have an episode where they might sink more back into their depression if they already were diagnosed with it. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. I'm, that's, that's, that's what I see.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for giving us that update. Um, So the next question we have is how can you manage stir craziness or a challenging family dynamic caused by being in your house with your family for a lot of time?
4: Yeah, I think this is real. If you're spending time at home and your parents might be working from home, you're learning at home, it can be hard. And so, and I imagine it can be hard for your parents or your siblings as well. So maybe it's even sitting down and I know this sounds kind of cheesy, but having like a family meeting and saying like, how can we, how can we, how can everyone get their needs met here? Um, If you feel like it's a rough family dynamic, I think it's also trying to find that safe space in your house, right? A space where you feel like you can relax and take care of yourself. Um, and then of course, you know, again, I think you can always reach out to maybe that trusted adult at school, like a psychologist or a counselor or a social worker. If you are struggling to get their support with that as well, you know, sometimes they can always help kind of vocalize things to your parents as well and kind of help you guys solve some of those issues, mediate some of those pieces, or help refer you out to a therapist that does really great work with helping families. Because again, I do think that this is not just a stressful time for teens, this is a stressful time for families in general. So it can bring up a lot of emotion and, um, like you said, some challenging dynamics in the home. I
3: agree. (laughs) If your family dynamics are calm enough, I definitely recommend having a conversation. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not the funnest thing to do all the time, but it definitely is helpful. If you're worried about how the family dynamics will be, I definitely suggest reaching out to a trusted adult. And we can be pretty tricky in how we do this, where we let parents know that it's just the expectation or the or the encouragement for all parents to give their 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 child, you know, two hours in their room doing their work or whatever it is that you feel you need in the home. Um, It doesn't have to be something that we point our fingers at you and say, oh, well, your child said that you needed to do this. We can word it in such a way that um, we're not putting anybody on blast.
2: Yep, exactly. So a lot of people have rough family dynamics. And even even before COVID, you might have had a great family dynamic, but being stuck in the house together all the time, you know, maybe (laughs) made a little bit more friction. So, but as people are settling in, I kind of think that maybe we can use this as an opportunity to connect even more with the people near us, so who are families. So rather than like you know, you know, maybe it's the brother, older brother or sister that you don't really get along with, or y'all always argue over something. Um, maybe trying to figure out a way to connect with that person, or just connect as a family. So maybe doing things together, making cookies, making dinner. Um, finding something on Netflix that y'all all all love. Like how many people have connected that way? People connect that way all the time. So, (laughs) Um, but maybe like figuring out ways, even if it's like a maybe more stressful family dynamic, finding something positive that the family or even a couple of individuals in the family can do together. So you're kind of connecting and also de-stressing at the same time.
3: Yeah, we definitely became a Star Wars family over the first part of quarantine.
1: Yeah, so our next audience question is, how are teachers and other school staff handling access to support or lack access to support for students
3: during this time? So
4: in our school, you know, teachers can always refer students to me. They can also refer students to our learning specialists for support. You know, I know one thing that I've seen a lot with students learning at home is, issues around just figuring out how to be organized, how to plan your time. There's so much unstructured time that sometimes that can be really challenging too. So our teachers will refer students either to to me or to our learning specialists. Um, Again, I would also say that in my role, I've also been trying to give teachers and our advisors as many tools and and resources as well of how they can support their students and again kind of supporting them with the mental health and the social emotional piece Um, and then of course if i ever have a student that i feel like needs that outside support in addition to school-based support that's when i'll connect with either you know their family with their permission things like that as well
3: and on our end all of those same um things are occurring and a lot of support with teachers teachers reach out and ask um, for resources to to help them understand and support and navigate it with students. And again, just having the open conversations um, regularly in the classroom as to what they're struggling with um, or where uh, barriers are popping up so that they can be navigated as a whole class instead of every so many one-on-one student meetings needing to occur.
1: Yeah, so Oh, I'm sorry. Did you? I was just
4: going to say, I think we also acknowledge that I think teachers are also feeling the brunt of the pandemic as well. So I think it's also helping the teachers kind of like take a moment to like check in with themselves as well and take care of themselves, because I do think that they're also working double time trying to navigate, you know, the technology and student relationships and meeting all these different needs as well.
1: Yeah, um, our next question is from um, a parent who recently began homeschooling their child and is noticing some mental health issues arise. Um, They note that now they appreciate teachers a lot, but they're finding it difficult sometimes to get resources as a layperson and not a teacher. So what are some ways that homeschooling parents can seek help uh, with these mental health issues that their children are experiencing?
2: I would recommend reaching out to a professional, and so um, depending on, you know, your your what you have access to, trying to find a professional in your area. So, um, like for example, for Cleveland, um, there are a lot of community mental health agencies um, that provide services, and all a lot of the community. Mental health agencies are providing services via telehealth so they will be easier to access. So um, depending on where you live, I would just look into community mental health services in your area that see kids. Um, and also, if you have in if you have private insurance, then um, you know, looking on your insurance and see who's covered, who your child could go see, what where your child could go to get those services. And I'm sure those places as well are also um, doing telehealth.
4: I would also say another great resource for parents, I think just around like articles and figuring out tips, both of how to support your child with learning and the emotional piece, Child Mind. It's an organization out of New York City, and they have so many wonderful articles, tips, tools, just highly recommend it. Get on their their email subscription list and you'll get, I think, an email once a week with, again, just lots of great information. I feel like that's been a really good resource. Um, a good resource that I share with a lot of our parents. So could you say that again? Child Mind. It's an organization in New York city. It's great. And they also do telehealth. But again, when the insurance piece, like Dr. Murray said, I think that if you're looking for an actual therapist or someone to meet with your child or your family, you know, going through your insurance or looking at a community health mental, a community health center near where you live.
3: And to to piggyback on both of those, um, you can also go to I think it's psychologytoday.com. You can just Google find a therapist near me and it's the first one that pops up. And I have found it to be really, really helpful because you can limit your search by which insurance you have by local area and they and they have profiles and links to websites for people. So you can kind of get a feel for what type of therapist it is. Um, and you can see if they do teletherapy or not. And the really great thing is you're allowed to go and talk to a therapist for just one time and ask for support in, what resources for your child, and you're not beholden to meet with them over and over and over again. So you're allowed to go for just the amount of time that you need.
4: And then the last piece, of course, is your child's pediatrician. You know, Some pediatrician offices even have therapists on staff. So you can even just go to a therapist within the pediatrician's office. So again, if you have concerns, I would always reach out to your child's pediatrician too and say, these are the things that I'm noticing. Do you have any referrals? Do you have any ideas? Things like that. I think that's a great resource as well.
1: Thank you for all of those great resources. I'm sure our audience will find those all very helpful. So our next question is shifting things a little bit more towards the positive side. So although social media and digital communication has, in a lot of ways, made it more difficult to maintain um, uh, relationships, do you see any important ways in which social media or other digital means of communication can benefit
2: youth? Absolutely. Right now, it's one of the, um, not necessarily social media, but just technology in general. Um, Right now, it's the main way that they are forming these connections. So, um, you know. I know so many kids who are like FaceTiming their friends all the time, talking, connecting, um, doing those things that way. So in that way, technology is, is, a, is really a lifesaver that we can't be together physically. But in a lot of ways, technology allows us to feel like we're together, even if we're not physically together. Um, it still kind of gives us that connectedness. So I think that's one of the huge benefits of technology right now.
4: You know, there are so many amazing apps out there now that focus on well-being and mental health and so and mindfulness. Um, so I have lots of, of students who have shared with me that they've started using, you know, the Calm app or Headspace or Smiling um, Monkey, or there's just so many that have different resources around like how you can check in with yourself emotionally, like good self-care stuff, again, practicing mindfulness. And so I do think that there are so many amazing benefits to technology, and I think that um you know, I hope, I hope our teens use those things as resources because a lot of them are free um, and they're again in the palm of your hands, which is great.
3: And I've seen a lot of um, advocacy movement occurring amongst students that wouldn't have happened in the same way without the use of technology and communicating through technology. And also students having much more open minds than the environment in which they're raised because they're having access to information outside of their bubble. Um, and I see that as a huge benefit. Well, and I even think
4: of this forum right now, you know, if we were in person, how many students would be able to leave school that day, you know, how many schools would be able to provide transportation, all these different pieces. And now here we are, we're on, you know, this platform. I don't I forget what this platform is called. It's not Zoom, but but we're here and we're having these like really great conversations. And hopefully lots of students are getting access to this. So um, I do think that there are so many benefits.
1: Yeah, it definitely has broken some accessibility barriers in a lot of ways. Um, Our next question is about prioritizing. So um, should communication with friends be seen as equally important to class, uh, to like learning and other obligations, especially at this time? And how would you recommend that students prioritize their different needs?
3: I absolutely think it's equal um, the way that... I often talk to students is if you're creating your schedule for the day, yeah, you include your blocks or your assignments, but while you're creating that schedule, you're also including a certain amount of time that's just for interacting or connecting with peers and a certain amount of time that's just for decompressing and refreshing yourself.
4: I would also say that I think that every day is going to be different, right? If you have a handful of tests tomorrow that you need to study for. Maybe today you really focus more on studying. Um, I mean, still find that time to socially connect and take care of yourself, but maybe today feels a little bit, your higher priority is academics, but then maybe tomorrow feels a little bit lighter academically. So you can really kind of, you know, the balance can kind of go up this way. So I do think that it can change day to day, but I think always finding time to connect with others and, you know. practice practice, using what time to kind of restore yourself or recharge yourself, I think is, is critical. And I think social connection does that.
2: That's a really interesting question. I think, because, you know, um, typically, you know, I would say social connectedness is really, really important at the same time. Right now, the main way that kids are connecting is over like technology and technology is kind of, can be in a lot of households technology is a privilege it's not necessarily a necessity or something that the kids can easily have access to so um, I think that's a it's a tricky question in some ways um, I think as much as possible um, youth need to definitely do whatever they can to to keep and maintain their social connectedness um, as as much as they can and I know that that might not always be possible depending on their home situation and depending on certain things
3: mm-hmm
1: Yeah, so our next audience question is, how can we avoid being easily distracted by the technology in front of us during meetings and school and other social interactions that we are lucky enough to have at this time?
3: Once you figure that out, let me know. (laughs) But no, in all honesty, Different, different ways work better for different people. If you can set the the limits on your phone so that uh, notifications aren't popping up, that's helpful. Um, don't have 12 tabs open up. Again, I, I realize I'm saying that as I'm doing it, um, but the, the least amount of things open and sending notifications while you're focused in on schoolwork um, makes a difference for you.
4: Yeah, I would also say sometimes like I even have to put like my phone in the other room, which sounds crazy that I don't have that self-control. But but sometimes I need that. I need that actual barrier. Um, The other piece I would say is if you're in a class, like actively taking notes, even if the teacher doesn't ask you to take notes, that's a way to kind of um, help you pay attention. It keeps you accountable to focusing on what the teacher is saying and what what your peers are saying. So I think sometimes actively taking notes can be a great way to to focus while you're learning online.
2: yeah it can be really hard to focus um i think i think definitely not removing distractions as much as possible so putting your phone away turning off your tv not having another laptop or a tablet in the background all those things you're gonna be like looking all over the place right um even if your phone or your watch everything is it's a distraction so taking away all of those things so that you can focus and i think um, as much as you can, learning about mindfulness. So mindfulness really just means being in the moment in the now. And so if I'm here with talking to you guys right now, I'm not like looking at my phone or thinking about what I got to do later, but just really being present in the moment. And so as much as you can um, learn about that and learn those kind of techniques, it'll be easier for you to kind of I'm in class now, I'm in class. Now when I'm not, I'm not, or when I'm with my friends, I'm with my friends, but really being able to be in those different and distinct moments.
1: Yeah, so just going back to a point we were talking about earlier, um, I think a common theme coming up among our panelists is the sort of equal importance of uh, things like school, but also social connection. But a student wants to know, how can we explain to parents the necessity of technology and
3: connection during this time? I think it goes back to those uncomfortable conversations, those conversations that you're not sure you really want to be having. Um, and again, your family may or may not be more open to that type of a conversation. but. Um, I think the only way that an explanation can occur is to start to open those lines of communication. And I think there's space for school or for therapists to play a role in helping to have that conversation, um, helping to house that conversation um, so that it's not just coming from their child, but the school sending it out in a weekly newsletter or sending it out in an update um, or supporting students in having those conversations.
2: So I think this question is an interesting question. And I know, um, personally, so as a, as a psychologist that sees kids in therapy, like it can be difficult, but so I don't know what you mean when you say necessity, you know, I don't want to someone to show this to their mama, like, look, mom, you got to get the iPhone 12 for me because they said it's a necessity, (laughs) you know? Um, right. Because I feel like that's the way it could go. Um, so what I would say is that two things, one is it's helpful. It's, it's 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 helpful. It'll help you connect. It's important. Ideally, if it's possible, we want you to be able to have it. At the same time, youth, I would say you have to acknowledge your portion in that, right? If you've been reckless in social media, been reckless in texting and, and doing things that maybe were inappropriate and you lost those privileges, I mean it's up to you to rebuild that trust to get it back and so i can't say one way or the other i can't say necessity i can say if you have that privilege and can keep it that's great we want you to be able to use it but if for whatever reason um you know if your parents have a good reason it's a reason why and you might know the reason why you lost it um you know it might take time for you to earn that back it's kind of similar to um if you were if it was not pre-covid and and you got in trouble and you, your parents said you can't go anywhere. Like, well, you wouldn't have that communication and connection with your friends. Like, so um, but if possible, it, it, we want you to be able to have it. And if you don't have it right now, I think it's important to have those conversations with your parents about rebuilding the trust or repairing whatever it is you need to repair so that you can get those um, connections back
4: building on do- what Dr. Murray was saying, I'd also say like, maybe it's also compromising with your parents, you know, maybe you want your phone all the- all the time to be able to communicate with your friends and socialize. But, you know, they want you to focus more on school or doing stuff around the house or helping out with your siblings or whatever that might look like. But maybe it's saying, okay, like the compromise is you know, I get to have my phone from four to six o'clock, and that's the time where I get to socialize, but then I focus on these other pieces at this time. So, you know, again, coming back to what Dr. Pochlar said as well, having those conversations, and if you feel like you're not getting anywhere with those conversations, or, you know, then, you know, maybe enlisting the the help of another trusted adult from school to help you
3: navigate those pieces. And if you're in a family that does not allow their kids to have cell phones, uh, or to have technology for things that aren't school related then there's a conversation that needs to occur about how to have social interactions in this time that don't need um, yeah. technology it's a little harder to find but you can do it and that conversation can go a long way
4: and again i think relying on whatever your school's opportunities are around clubs extracurricular activities affinity groups like whatever that looks like at your school i think really tapping into those opportunities as ways to connect with with your peers i think is is can be really helpful and really productive and, and help. And yeah.
1: Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation and really helpful conversation about how to navigate this increasingly virtual environment. And again, thank you so much for all the work you're doing around the community to help um, youth navigate this challenging time. So now I'm gonna toss it over to Kennedy to close up the forum.
6: Thank you, Ali, and good afternoon. My name is Kennedy Smith. I am a senior at Hawkins School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Thank you for joining us for today's Youth Forum, featuring Rebecca Zigar, upper school counselor at Hathaway Brown School, Dr. Moshea Murray, clinical psychologist at the, psycho- the Metro Health System, director of behavioral health for the foster care program, Associate Director of Pediatric Psychology Residency and Assistant Professor for Psychiatry at the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and Dr. Ashley Kloblar, School Psychologist at Hopkins School. Our moderator is Youth Forum Council Vice President and Hawkins School Senior, Allie Dettelbach. City Club Youth Forums are sponsored by at with additional support from the Char and Chuck Power Foundation, the Doris C. Makowski Foundation, and the William M. Weiss Foundation. We are grateful for their support. All City Club Virtual Forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, Eaton, the George Gunn Foundation, Key Bank, Nordstrom, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. And the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors are listed on our website at cityclub.org. Thank you. You can join them in supporting that work when you make a contribution online or become a member at CityClub.org. This is the last Youth Forum for 2020. The next City Club Youth Forum will occur on January 28, 2021. Thank you for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.